Welcome to Season 2 of I Fucking Love This Record, a music podcast hosted by me, the Derek Caraview. For Season 2, my guest hosts chose the record, and I'll be honest, sometimes I do not fucking love it. However, I did fucking love talking to each and every one of them about their choice. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Cool, groovy, morning fine. On the line is The Holy Bible, the third studio album by the Manic Street Preachers. It was produced by the band and Steve Brown and released on August 30th, 1994 on Epic Records. It was the band's last album released before lyricist and rhythm guitarist Richie Edwards' disappearance on February 1st, 1995. It reached number six on the UK album chart, but did not chart in America. The album has since been included on many best albums of all time lists by British music publications. On the other mic is musician, dear friend, and the librarian for the Archives of Pain. You can call him Rita, but he will always be Steve Pettit to me. Steve, welcome <laughs> back to the show. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Glad to be back. So the, uh, the last time you were on the show, we talked about uh, a Nick Cave record. That was my choice, which I uh, engineered to make sure that you chose it because I wanted to talk to you about it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we have gone through at least three different records we were going to do for your choice. So we actually recorded one, mm -hmm. uh, and then you didn't want that one to run because you felt like there was something you didn't quite remember correctly, if I remember correctly, because it's been about a year since we did that. It wasn't I just wasn't really, like, refreshed. I hadn't been, like, spending time with it to, to talk about it, whereas, like, kind of prepped up for the other one. And uh, I just wasn't happy with my input on that. <laughs> yeah. So we went ahead and, and put that one aside. Then for a little while, we were going to do uh, a Ween album. Quebec. Yeah. Then the Cardigans, uh, Long Gone Before Daylight, and then this one. Okay. And so we finally ended here. So we're listening to the Holy Bible. Tell me, uh, how did this album <clears throat> enter your life? It was not an at-the-time thing. Uh, the only the only album in the early period that I knew at the time was uh, the debut because uh, my friend Eric Levin, who runs Criminal Records in Atlanta, uh, when he had started in uh, Daytona, he just loved that album to death. So I knew that one at the time uh, and didn't follow up. But uh, in 2009 was when Journal for Plague Lovers, which is the spiritual sequel album to this one, came out. And it was on a bunch of best of end of the year lists. And Steve Albini recorded that one. So that's that's usually like an entry point for me to take an interest like, oh, it's Steve Albini. OK. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I that was when I learned the whole story about it and learned about the Holy Bible. So I I think I went to the Hollywood Amoeba, found a CD in the bin for like four bucks and was like, OK, well, check this out. And I so I listened to it at the time and liked it, but um, it didn't really take I, I think it was too dark and too intense for me at the time especially like yeah i read the lyric sheets and i was like jesus fuck you know <laughs> <laughs> and uh and it was something that i just kind of set aside uh the record store day picture disc came out and i picked that up because like yeah sure i should have a copy of this one and i would play it every now and again and wouldn't you know like just kind of let it play in the background and it, i think that's how it started to marinate but then there was just a point where it did finally hit. And not only that, but like I just full on got into like the entirety of the Manix catalog. And and this is, you know, generally regarded as their their masterpiece. I'm a little bit more partial to Journal for Plague Levers, but I think this is an important album 
And I think it's something that, you know, it, it should definitely be heard by anybody who likes heavier music. Uh, it should sit pretty well with people who like the grunge era stuff, even though it's not a grunge era record. The U.S. mix was done uh, as a nod towards that. Uh, that's that's why they they ended up using Albini for Journal for Plague Lovers because Richie was such a fan of In Utero. So that was like another like tribute type thing for him when they did that record. So I, it's it's weird because it's you know the subject matters of these songs are are really dark and it's kind of kind of a greatest hits of like the worst of humankind. And so a lot it's how people are emotionally affected by that sort of thing. I think it would be like, well, I can't listen to that record. It's such a downer. And you know, that's why I don't listen to certain things like Alice in Chains. Like, you know, I like their music, but like, it really bums me out to listen to it. So I don't, <laughs> um, I would think that this would be a bummer for me, but I, it actually works as like this spiritual thing for me. Whereas like I, it, it kind of motivates me to keep going where it's like, well, I'm not the people in these songs. <laughs> <laughs> so I got that going for me, which is nice. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So now I didn't actually hear this record until you recommended it for this podcast. So I'm coming in a little bit cold. Now I have heard the band before. Uh, I was working at Vinyl Fever in 1999 and they had a giant poster for This Is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. And I just, it just stared at me for months because it was just right there, you know, so it was right where you could, if you were behind the counter, this poster was looking at you. Uh, <laughs> and then I don't know if I just heard the single or if it came in used and because somebody, uh, I think my manager at the time really loved this band and it came in used and it was like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll take it home and give it a listen. Uh, and so, and I really liked that. I, I liked the, that album. I thought it was good. It wasn't the best album I've ever heard, but it was, it was a good album. Yeah. It's uh, a good solid record. I think. Yeah. And the thing is, uh, people who liked that band just shit talked that record. I mean, just like, Oh, if you like that one, you're not going to, you know, it was just, it was just, they bat like for some reason, I don't know if it was too commercial or whatever, but that was my introduction to the band. And I just, because of the negativity around it, like I, I, mentioned this record maybe last year on Facebook when I was doing the Sunday listening, which I think you caught a couple of those where I just, you know, eh, Sunday morning and this is what I'm listening to. And I was listening yeah. to that album. And even then some, uh, some English woman that lives here in Wrocław was like, Oh, you know, we used to say, you know, if you, uh, if you'll tolerate this song, you'll listen to any shit or what, you know, I can't remember what she <laughs> said, but it was one of those. I'm like, even now, you know, it was like 20 years later, I'm hearing grief about liking this record. And so I didn't really follow up on the band. I know that they're, I knew about the, uh, the primary lyricists disappearing under mysterious circumstances. I know that he's been declared dead, uh, blah, blah, blah. I think you're going to want to get into some of that a little bit later. So, I mean, I knew yeah. a little bit about it, but I don't think I had listened to anything uh, past This Is My Truth until maybe Futurology I listened to. And okay. The, the singer's voice doesn't always do it for me. And like with the early stuff, I think there was still at least more of the, the drive behind it. And that album just didn't do a lot for me. Maybe I didn't give it a chance. I don't quite remember. But uh, so diving that's, into this one. Uh, I'll as, interrupt here and say that that's sure. actually not one of my favorite records by them. Okay. Uh, it's 
uh, th that was actually one of the harder ones to get into. Uh, and I do like some of the stuff on there now, but um, the last two albums have not been not been my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steve. All right, yeah. Okay, so a uh, little inside joke right there. We're gonna just, I'm just gonna leave that one out there. I'm gonna leave that one for the fans. All right, so we're gonna be moving on into the track by track analysis. And as I said, Steve, this is your choice, so I'm going to let you lead off our discussion today. Track one, side one, yes. What do you got for me? Uh, as far as the categories that you have uh, worked out for all of your listeners, uh, I feel like this is definitely the statement of intent, the mission statement one. It kind of gives you an idea of like what's coming at you in a certain sense, like that it's, you know this you know they they start rocking out out the gate and it's uh you know the lyrics are definitely pretty dark <laughs> the, the chorus saying in these plague streets for pity you can buy anything for 200 you can uh anyone can conceive of god on video he's a boy you want a girl so tear off his cock tie his hair in bunches fuck him call him rita if you want oh that's that's kind of brutal <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um so, uh, i i think uh, this is a, a great song it's like it's one of those things where it's like i just kind of sing along with it and i don't think about like what i'm singing because i just i'm i'm into the song and rocking out to it and that's that's what happens with a lot of a lot of this record for me is i've, I've got to just turn off what it's actually saying because they're they're being so strong with you know like what each of these tracks are talking about and like all the the different facets of human nature that it's it's covering that the darkest aspects of human nature that it's covering it's but it's a peppy tune like you said it kind of comes out and it's uh it's belied by these dark lyrics but because of how he sings those lyrics they were really hard for me to catch and yeah. i probably listened to this record five or six times before i looked at the lyrics because I was just always on, I was listening to it when I was on public transportation or just when I was doing stuff at home and I was paying attention to it. So it wasn't like I had it on in the background, but I just wasn't, I, it's hard to follow along because he doesn't sing very clearly. So if you just, like you had said, like you put this on and you just, you can sing along without paying attention to what you're singing. And I can see how you could definitely do that with this because you just it feels like you're just hitting syllables more than you're saying words yeah. uh, just because of the way that he's doing it. Uh, if you hadn't mentioned how dark you thought this record was when we were first talking about doing it, I don't think I would have caught it until I really looked at the song titles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, an another thing about uh, a lot of these songs is, you know, uh, that Richie really crammed lyrics into all of these songs. So uh, one of the things that I think James Dean Bradfield has a particular talent for that really shines on this record is how verbose these songs are, how much, how many lyrics are in them, and how he is able to write a melody and and sort all of it out to make these songs. I actually kind of marvel at that when I listen to this record. That makes sense because, like I said, I just I had no clue how truly dark this song was until I really just sat down and read along. 
And even then, the words I was reading and the words I was hearing still didn't always seem to mesh at first, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, I didn't, hadn't really thought about putting it that way, just about how, how dense those lyrics really were and how he was able to... It, I, this could just be, like, you know, a poppy sing-along song. I mean, poppy's probably not quite the right word for it. I just... Uh, I, I enjoyed this it one. Does have, it does have a little bit of like a, a, a sunny melody to it, you know, for the choruses and stuff. Uh, this, you know, this is the one that like when I when I came back to the record and, I, and then I just finally was like, oh, you know, I remember these lyrics being really dark, but, you know, this record just doesn't sound that dark to me. And then I looked at the lyric sheet and that was when I was like, Jesus, fuck, ah, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah, right. That. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on to track two. Now, I should mention that this is all one word. If white America told the truth for one day, its world would fall apart. Uh, and this one, the, the kind of like martial beat uh, really makes this song for me. I really like the, the drive to it and the, and the drum and the, and the meter to this one. And I'm, as I mention all the time, I am not a musician, so I, I may be using certain things incorrectly, but this is what makes sense for me in being able to describe it. It has some elements to it that remind me a little bit of like mid-80s metal. And I don't mean like glam stuff, but more like, I don't know, for some reason, Grim Reaper came to mind when I heard this. And... <laughs> Uh, maybe it's just the Tipper Gore reference. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, those guys are probably listening to it. Uh, we're probably listening to all that stuff. I, I will have a little aside here and tell you that uh, James Dean Bradfield learned how to play guitar off of being in love with the Appetite for Destruction album. And he used to play along with that in his parent. you know, like he'd play the album in his parents' room and learn the guitar riffs on that. So... You know, they were definitely listening to like punk and metal and stuff like that. I mean, you know, Guns N' Roses isn't like the hardest metal, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to find that they were listening to Grim Reaper. Okay. Yeah. So I, I thought you, I was either going to get a huge pushback from you on that or there would be something because, like I said, it, it just, it seemed not like glam metal or not like the thrashier stuff, but just that kind of solid, just heavy metal. You know, like I said, like Grim Reaper, Judas Priest or, or something like that. So, um, uh, but not completely. I mean, just little bits of the guitar part, and uh, and yeah. But I, I mean, I really like the song, and I said really, it was that that Marshall uh, Marshall beat uh, that just I thought was really cool and and really made the song for me. What do you think yeah, about this one? I think that what you're saying is uh, I definitely see where you're coming from on that. I probably hear it more like in the hardcore punk vein. I don't know anything that I would say offhand, but you know, probably like in that in that like JFA TSOL like those kind of bands and I, and I never really listened to a lot of those bands much but you know and even you know to a certain extent like Bad Brains because they had uh, stuff where they were they were tooling around with like metal riffs and you know and just like the fast like lightning fast kind of stuff and it does have that it has a it does have like a galloping marching sort of thing to it kind of prescient about the, the world we live in now too would you know just it being a GOP commentary and you know while that was a thing in 1994 it wasn't quite the thing that it is now it wasn't quite the monster that it is now I think um, again this is one of those songs that like because you know I'm, I'm I'll be playing it and I'll be like driving around listening to it in the car and be bopping along to it and then you know like I feel guilty singing along with it because I'm singing lyrics like Tipper Gore was a friend of mine. I was like, no, she wasn't. 
Or, I did you know, not or, or, have sexual yeah. relations with that woman. <laughs> or, or you know, like the the white nationalist lyrics of it, you know, which the you know because it's it's definitely being you know take taking a jab at this kind of person who there ain't no black in the Union Jack, there's not enough white in the Stars and Stripes, that kind of thing. Yeah, and that's one that I I wonder if because obviously he's singing from a persona at that point, but it always seems a little bit risky. Uh, not that you well, shouldn't do it, but you know, that's yeah. like, uh, you're not saying that as yourself. You're saying that as this character. And I, I think that's fairly obvious, but you just never know who's going to try to take something out of context and try to. Absolutely. You know, and yeah. I think that's, that's the entirety of this album in a nutshell, almost, you know, is that it's all from a persona that like somebody hearing that and coming from that angle can be like, what the hell is going on here? What are, what are these lyrics? What is this band? On to track three of Walking Abortion. Mm-hmm. What do you got, uh, Steve? Well, this is also a coming from that, like, the, the uh, you know, like, attacking the right-wing mentality again. And just that, that authoritarian element to it. This song, this song rocks. It's, uh, I don't think it's the strongest song on the record, but it's, it's one that it's just, fits nicely where it is the the record kind of moves along i don't know that i have a whole lot to say about it uh i i love it when it's on but i don't put a whole lot of thought into it so one of those that's a you know you 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 like it when the album's on but you probably don't cue this one up directly yeah this isn't this isn't one that i go i the the songs that when i um when i listen to when i'm not listening to the album start to finish probably i would say like yes Archives of Pain, Four Stone Seven Pound, Mausoleum, and Die in the Summertime are those are the ones that I I listen to like that I'm like yes totally in the mood to hear this song. So the, this isn't a song that I particularly have like poured over and paid a lot of attention to, but it is it's it's a pretty angry song. Uh, I think that ending is is very memorable with the repetition of who's responsible you fucking are <laughs> where he, like you know is yelling it over and over definitely a cool part of the song I, I enjoyed that uh, quite a bit so and th- for me this is you know the third straight that opens up with some kind of you know interstitial clip and it started to feel like a bit much at this point and of course it continues on throughout the record and that's obviously something that they have planned but after a while it, I found it a little bit annoying. Uh, but with a song like the the verses on this have like a really good drive, but I really love the way that the chorus comes together and mm-hmm. just that whole. I, I like the structure of this song probably more than anything else. Uh, so just how it all all comes together and like I said, they had quite a few different influences, which you know just putting that in the in the blender and coming out and uh, you know for a song called "Of Walking Abortion" and that kind of that ending. Uh, yeah, the song still it's it's a, just a good rock song, I think. Yeah, that um, clip at the beginning is actually the author Hubert Selby Jr. talking, um, and I, I get what you're saying. Uh, I I kind of um, I take all those things as being part of part of the song. It's it's not as invasive to me as say you know a rap album that has you know skits you know in between like every other track. That just gets annoying to me. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's generally, I think, with one exception, they're not. It's not very long. I just it 
that's the only part that really felt kind of dated to me sure. on this record. And after a while, it's like, uh, and uh, you know, and I know there's a point to it, but it's like it wasn't even like they mixed it up. And it's like, oh, they're doing this, but sometimes it's in the middle of the track, or maybe the track fades out to that. It's just always right at the beginning. Uh, it always feels like really kind of just on the nose. And then, you know, and I just after a while, I just didn't care for it. But I find as but as sure. I think more more when I was like paying attention uh, with the lyrics and then writing down notes, because I don't remember it bothering me quite as much when I was just listening straight through. I think it was more upon just in, in inspection after a while. It's like, eh, and anyway, right? probably probably when you're approaching the album more from a critical stance where you're like, I've got to per- I've got to turn my critical thinking on. And then you're and then you're like, well, this is kind of annoying. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely see that because, like, like you said, like when I'm listening to this record, I don't really think about those. I don't really think about all those little like vocals, voice sample things. Uh, it's all part of the song to me at this point. Mm-hmm. So, track four, she is suffering. Uh, so, this one, one of the few that actually doesn't start with a clip. So that was very <laughs> welcome. Yeah, uh, and it's uh, it starts pretty slow, and it doesn't really take off. Uh, but I, but I like the guitar that comes in like, like exactly at the one minute mark while listening. I think the song is, it's okay. Uh, but it's something that gets stuck in my head after the fact. So something yeah. about the, the, the chorus just comes back to me. And when I'm listening, I was like, Oh, you know, it's a, it's a decent song. Uh, and it's always one that anything that kind of stays at that same pace when it's this slow, you're always hoping for a little bit of, a little bit of extra something to help get it there. Uh, and it doesn't quite have, but like I said, that guitar part that it repeats, but but it just comes in like right at one minute, and I really like it. Uh, and then I don't know why this is. There's two two songs that really burrow into my brain afterwards, and this happens to be one of them. And it's one that I don't care for quite as much. So that's it's weird. Uh, what do you think about this one? I think this one uh, it kind of falls into that. Uh, sounds more like a like a slower grungy number. Like if mm-hmm. some, you know, like I, it's, it doesn't remind me of like, say, you know, Nirvana or any of those bands in, in particular, but I, it is the one that like, I would probably say like, oh, you could check this out to somebody who's like really into, to grunge music. And like, maybe that would be like a, a doorway. I mean, and I don't even know why I think that, uh, I know that, uh, they did consider this as as a single at one point um but i think ultimately there was no there were no singles even though they did promote it you know like faster was a song they promoted there's a a notorious uh performance that they did on british tv with that where they all wore balaclava on stage and everybody was really upset about that um, what's interesting about this particular song is I think it's, I've read a lot of stuff with the band, like interviews and things, and don't think that the other guys in the band really understood where Richie was coming from with this song. Like they, they thought like in hindsight, this was like a uncharacteristically like anti-women type song or, or the, just the perspective that it's speaking from. And and I actually can't agree with that. If you, if you read the lyrics to this particular one, I, I think it's talking. I think he's talking about it in something more abstract. He's not talking about females specifically. I think he's talking about how we man, like manifest a notion to beauty, uh, the the idea of beauty and the idea of uh, 
the the things that we put on women mm -hmm. uh, because of the notion of like beauty or being a lady or being polite and all of that kind of stuff. And I, I think that it's it's coming from that perspective. So I I thought it was interesting reading that the the band like, yeah, we don't like doing that. We don't like doing that song live because I, I don't really like the lyrics and think that it's it hasn't aged well. It hasn't dated well. And of course, they had they did do it when they toured and they did the entire album for the 20th anniversary a few years ago in uh, 2014. They went out and toured behind this album. They did a, a like club that club dates around here because they they've never been huge over here and they pack stadiums over over anywhere like not the u.s <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, did you uh did you catch that no i actually i've never seen them live um mm -hmm. so i would have loved to have seen that particular tour and you know and i i was aware of their music at that point but i just the bug hadn't quite bitten me at that juncture even though i i really liked journal for plague lovers um you know that's that's a record that you know i bought it that year and really got into it played it a lot, even like pushed it on a few other people. But I think everybody's like, eh, I don't know why you're pushing this record on me, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of them, you know, it, it hits you hard enough that you just got to share, even if you, if it's not going to be appreciated. So, yeah. All right. So track five archives of pain. What do you got for me, Steve? One of the real powerhouse tracks on this record, I think, uh, and this, uh, again, from the, the perspective of the person singing the song, is, is one of those tricky things because it's somebody who is glorifying serial killers uh, and just really, it's definitely coming from a dark place. Uh, <laughs> the, the refrain part, Kill Yeltsin, who sang, Zirinovsky, Le Pen, Henley and Brady, Ireland, Atlas of Cliff, Dahmer Nielsen, Yoshinori Ueda, Blanche and Pickles, M and Milosovic, give them res the respect they deserve. <laughs> so it's basically just like a laundry list of people who have uh, done atrocities. And, uh, you know, some of the other lyrics are very, very dark. A drained white body hang from the gallows is more righteous than Henley's crochet lectures. <laughs> but, you know, when you're listening to the song, it's like, yep, this song rocks all right. Um <laughs> I, th this is one instance where the little sound bit at the beginning, I it does kind of give me a little bit of a chill because it's the words of one of the, the mothers of the victims from serial killer Pete Sutcliffe's victims. And it was like a BBC TV report that they did on his trial. That uh, sound bite, and then also uh, the one that's before Faster, which is from the movie 1984, and it's John Hurt. So I like John Hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I love the opening bass line on this. And it's funny because you mentioned them a little bit earlier, but this really reminds me of Alice in Chains. Uh, yeah. Rain, when I, Rain When I Die specifically has a very similar bass line. And then a little, a bit, I think the guitar takes it in a different direction. It's just a few seconds. Yeah. I don't, don't want to. At first I thought maybe um, uh, Alice in Chains had copped it, but then I realized that may have come out first because this is, or, you know, a little bit later than I was thinking, but uh, I, I don't really care. I didn't really care for the movie clip either, um, or the sort which I thought was a movie clip. But uh, and, you know, now that it's uh, it's probably I'll have to listen to it again, knowing that that's where that's from. Uh, and then when the when the, like the guitars are really beefy when they're there, and that's great. And uh, so this is the one that really reminded me most of of any kind of a grunge 
sound or or feel to it. Uh, and like I said, specifically, and then just really with with the bass. You know, obviously, he's a, a far a very different singer than uh, than Lane Staley was. But uh, yeah, yeah, that was one, that was one of my favorites. I really liked the song. I think uh, yeah, Nicky Wire's bass on this song is very menacing. He just has a very menacing tone to it. And uh, on the, you know, the companion record, the, the, the sequel, spiritual sequel record, Journal for Plague Lovers, the hidden bonus track, Bag Lady, it has kind of a nod to that because the bass line is a little bit, it's a little similar, a little bit faster, but uh, also just kind of has the same, like, kind of scratchy angular guitars that this, so it's almost a, like a, a nod back to this track. Yeah, okay, I'll have to keep that in mind because I haven't listened to that one yet because I didn't want to distract myself because I had a, I had a couple other things going on and I really wanted to make sure I focused on this record and, and gave it some gave it its due. So I'm going to listen to that one uh, probably sometime this week. I'm going to give that a give that a shout. That particular uh, that song that I mentioned, Bag Lady. Uh, I just I'm going to go off on a little tangent here, but uh, hopefully make it interesting. That's when I first heard that record because the last song on that record, William's Last Words, it almost seems like kind of Richie's suicide note. It's like his, seems like his farewell to his friends and everybody. And I always thought that was like the perfect ending for the record. And then it's it's one of those like the hidden tracks. So it's there's like 10 minutes of space or whatever. And then the, the other song comes in and it's this noisy rock song. And I was just always like, why the fuck is this song on here? Because it's it just ruins this like perfect ending to this record. But in this particular instance, it's you know the lyrics to that song, "Bag Lady." I'm not dead, and I demand. I know my rights. I know my rights. So it's like that was intentionally there to I think fuel the rumor that Richie was not dead. And there's even a uh, there's a story that I read about somebody who's doing research about Richie Edwards and had gone to Wales and was like having lunch in a cafe and said something about Richie James to the, the waitress. And she, and she was like, Oh, Richie's in Israel. Everybody knows that. <laughs> so it's just, this, you know, it's this bizarre thing of like, is he really not dead? And do, do his bandmates know that he's actually like alive? He just wanted out he just didn't want to be in the public eye anymore and, and there's you know there's this little breadcrumb trail of po the possibility or whatever but you know if you actually bring up anything like that to the band members they're they're all like no no he's dead you know like that's that's we don't talk about that we don't joke about it you know like that kind of thing because this particular band they you know they were as as good as brothers you know the singer guitarist and the drummer are cousins they've lived together since they were eight years old and the rest of the band members uh all became friends around the time that they were 14 so you know that it, this would be uh, not unlike if you and i formed a band and you know like with a couple other people from high school and you know and then one of the one of the members died at, you know so it wasn't a light thing for them to choose to go on afterwards, after this album. Mm -hmm. um, but I think a lot of the the people who love this record or love the first three records and love Richie's lyrics have this mentality, and they still hold it, that, you know, oh, that, that band of sellouts. I mean, and that's, that's why they hate the record that you brought up, you know, like, this is my truth. And that's why they, they make those comments you know it's like how how dare these people 
carry on with their lives. <laughs> <laughs> Sons of bitches. <laughs> Had a career and wanted to keep it. Yeah. Wanted to keep yeah. making music. Wanted to, you know. They're the worst. But I think also just the fact that because their songs started to become more accessible and people could relate to them, but that also opened the door to people going back in the catalog and finding the records like this one. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I, I don't have such puritanical views. You know, if we, if we were talking about this album maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago, maybe I'd still have like a punk rock ethos about me, but I've actually, I actually like a lot of their stuff. Uh, and the funny thing is as much as the, uh, as much as people hate the record you're talking about, the next two they hate even more. They're considered like the nadir of the band's career. Like even the band themselves, like have all but disowned those two records that come afterwards. <laughs> oh, okay. And I wonder because I just I couldn't quite grasp why I didn't continue at least go forward. I could see why I didn't want to go backwards with the band. And I think mm-hmm. part of it just happens that, like those albums came out. Uh, right about when I was getting ready to move to Poland, maybe, or I don't know. Sure. There's, you know, there's a little bit of a there, there's a, you know, stuff around 2004 and whatnot. I didn't really get into because it was just a lot of transitions for me. So, uh, right. I wasn't sure what that was, but you know, why why I didn't follow up on maybe maybe poorly reviewed or um, like you said, the band yeah. even saying that they don't like it. But. Yeah, 2004 is when Lifeblood came out, and that's universally hailed as their worst record. I I like it. It's they're not they're not treading water. They're actually trying something different, and that's that's one of the things that I like and appreciate about this band is that none of their records really sound the same. They they don't they don't just it's not just like Mach two of whatever the last album was. But mm-hmm. um, I do think that they they kind of get more back to their stride with the send away the tigers album. And a lot of the hardcore fans felt like that was a return to form. It's just, you know, very compact. Uh, the songs rock and, you know, that, Oh, they're a rock band again. They're not trying to do uh, synthesizer music. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll give that one. A, I'll give that one a try and see if, uh, see what it does for me. So going on to track six, Revol. And uh, this is another one that has like good chugging guitars and a chorus that gets stuck in my head. Uh, so this is one, like three, three of these songs have a chorus that really just sticks with me. And this is one of them. Uh, and if it wasn't for hearing the infamous surnames, uh, this is another one that probably would have just gone right over my head. Uh, you know, uh, just because it's like, all right, it's lover backwards, you know, okay, whatever that is supposed to mean for this. And, and this is another one that I think has some metal elements to it. Uh, but the solo, which comes in around like the two and a half minute mark, that's like a post-punk guitar sound to me. And it's fabulous. I love the guitar solo on this and I'm not usually uh, a solo fan and I don't really pay that much attention to it unless it's either really good or really terrible. You know, the, you know, it's like, if it's just a decent one, it's just more like, okay, that's moving me from this part of the song to the next part of the song. But I, th- this one just listening to it, it was like, it's just got that post punk, like you said, like angular, uh, attack to it. And it's in the midst of this, what feels like kind of like a metal song. And it's about fucked up stuff. And it's just, it's great. I really like this song. What about you? <laughs> Um, yeah, I like the song. Uh, it's not one that when I'm listening, like I said, when I'm not listening to the album as a whole, it's not one that I ever go, I do have it run in my head every now and again, but it's not one that I go like, oh, I want to hear Revol today. 
It's mm-hmm. like, you know, like in the way that like I've had, I've had like archives of pain be like that. It's like, nope, gotta hear that song. Like, or for <laughs> four stone, seven pound mausoleum is actually one that I, you know, I'm not trying to get ahead, but like, that's one that I go to again and again, but you know, like Reval is not, not one. It's, it's one that's in, in the context of the album for me. Um, but it, it, all the things that you said are true about it. It rocks. It has a great angular post-punk sound to it. Kind of the same way that like the, the edgy guitar attack of um, Archives of Pain, like the underpinning guitar, because there's there's several, because, you know, Richie is playing the um, the rhythm guitar and James is handling like the leads. But, you know, yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot to, to add about this song other than what you've said. I think your, your assessment's pretty spot on. Well, thank you very much. Then we'll move on to track seven, <laughs> four stone, seven pound. Uh, what are your thoughts here? So this is the, one of the ones that you've brought up a couple of times. So what do you, what do you think about this one? Yeah, this is uh, one of the one of the centerpiece tracks of the album. I think uh, a lot of people have thought that it was uh, that it was an autobiographical thing from Richie's standpoint, which I I wouldn't agree with that. But um, it's essentially somebody who's who is wanting to wither away. I, it's, it's one of the, one of the most emotionally, uh, devastating tracks. If you actually like read the lyrics and, and pay attention to what the song is saying, you know, like if you just think about like the, any, any, if you have any, I actually have, uh, you know, an ex-girlfriend from, uh, from the nineties that was, uh, bulimorexic. So I think that I have, uh, you know, probably like another personal understanding of the viewpoint of the person singing this track, where I understand that that person who wants to wither away, wants to be invisible, and however skinny they are, isn't skinny enough, and they're, you know, eating Rivita crackers because that's something that you can eat and it's not going to, you know put any fat on you or you know like that kind of thing (laughs) (laughs) on youtube there is a performance that they do nikki and james do an acoustic uh they were on uh it was one of the mtvs not the u.s but they do an acoustic performance and it just so happened that it coincided with a point where i think richie uh had had checked into a mental institution because he was like going through a pretty bad breakdown at the time. And so that particular performance of the song is, is pretty emotionally charged because like they're concerned about their friend. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know where their band is at this particular point. Obviously no idea of what's going to be happening, you know, just a couple months down the road either. So it's, that's I found as a particularly uh, as it's kind of a, a gut punch song altogether, and that that performance is is really emotionally charged. Like I said, I'll have to take a look at that because uh, I really like this song as well, uh, and it's got more of that post punk guitar and it's got that real driving rhythm. Uh, it's a really great bass work on this one. You know, it's not it doesn't seem like it's complicated, but I I really love it. And even when they yeah. do that kind of pull back for the bridge and usually that's my my least favorite part of a song you know and it makes that change which i don't know how else to describe it uh usually because i usually like the main riff of a song and when they do that other thing usually i don't like it very much but in this i i did like it 
Uh, and lyrically, it reminded me um, a little bit of, uh, do you know the song Me and Mia by Ted Leo and the Pharmacists? I'm not familiar with that particular one. I, I'm familiar with his work, but not that particular song. Okay, so uh, it's uh, it's kind of a, a an upbeat pop punk song, but it's all about uh, anorexia and bulimia. Uh, but it's fairly well hidden in the lyrics because, but because I know that he himself suffers from an eating eating disorder, uh, mm-hmm. and so it's like, uh, and I, I played that for. Um, classes of mine it's like you know what do you think the song is about and some people catch it but you know because it's like you know i must have looked like half a person and there's just like all these little lyrical kind of clues to it but it's just an uplifting go 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 kind of songs i sometimes like if i'm if i'm bored and just like surfing the net like i i will watch uh you know uh reaction videos to songs and i came across one there's uh uh a, a black dude and a white chick that I, I can't remember their names, but they do reaction videos to songs. And this is, are they Christian? That, like, are they Christian folks? Or like, is, is the guy a preacher or something? No, no, no. They're just, they just, you know, I think they're just like kind of music lovers. And, and I, I didn't get any gist of uh, them being like a, a particular, you know, uh, background or ilk. Uh, you know, they, they seemed okay. like, just just people who i i couldn't assess why they would be doing because i'm like well what are you bringing to the table but it was just more like knowing this song i was like you know okay so your viewers have been like oh do four stone seven pounds by uh, manic street preachers <laughs> and i was like well i i i've got to see how these people respond to it and like and i guess you know they pulled up the lyrics and they're listening to it and they're just like whoa this this is just uh, heavy heavy stuff i mean uh, I, this is no joke <laughs> like, i'd want to uh to, to, to want to listen to but yeah 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 so it, there wasn't anything particularly um notable about it other than it was just kind of funny to watch these people responding to a song like i knew what they were in for but they didn't yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know just the uh, in the refrain part of this where you know he's saying i i want to walk in the snow and not leave a footprint i want to walk in the snow and not soil its purity that's a really like deeply affecting lyric of like understanding somebody who wants to just vanish from existence but at the same time where this particular track gets into you know like dark lyrics a, a few people have pointed out that um you know, Richie had such a wicked sense of humor, he couldn't resist putting a little, like, funny jab in there, which, the last line of the song, I finally come to understand life through staring blankly at my navel. (laughs) (laughs) Literal Um, gazing. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I do want to point out, just in case people don't know, but, you know, if you're... Over in the UK, you would understand the significance of the title of the song, but Four Stone Seven Pounds is the medical definition of where death is inevitable. There is no bouncing back from that. Like, so in terms of anorexia, like Four Stone Seven Pound is that's it, you're done. Yeah, I knew it wasn't. I because I, I have English friends here, so I'm familiar with Stone, but I, I can never remember if it's what 19 pounds, I think. Uh, it's some odd number for uh, for 
uh, a, yeah. a specific unit, but uh, okay. Uh, all right, so that brings us to the end of the first half of the Holy Bible from the Manic Street Preachers on I Fucking Love This Record with my guest Steve Pettit. Uh, so Steve, tell me, what's uh, what's going on with you? It's been a little bit since we've had a chance to chat some chat up some music uh, outside of just uh, through Facebook. What's going on? <laughs> uh, really not a whole lot. Uh, I've been... Uh, I've moved to Eugene, Oregon from the LA area and just, just kind of taking some downtime in life. I've been driving a cab here, not Uber or Lyft, but actual cab for a cab company. Uh, Cause wow. this is a, yeah, this is an area where uh, Uber and Lyft are here, but it's, they're not quite the force that they are elsewhere because Eugene has such kind of strange politics about things like those businesses actually weren't allowed here until last year. So they have taken a, uh, the cab business has taken a hit from that because you know, the whole like price thing, but a lot of people in Eugene actually are more like, eh, screw those guys. I like my cabs, you know, and a lot of times we are either the same price or cheaper and not as much of a weight. We don't have, uh, we don't ever change our prices and which of course Uber and Lyft do. They have like premium pricing for, you know, if they're busier or if it's a holiday or games are going on and you know, that's another thing too. But aside from that, uh, not really much. I've just been taking some downtime in life and, staring blankly at my navel. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you uh, once again coming back on, on the show and talking about uh, uh, a record that I probably wouldn't have otherwise listened to. So that's always, uh, that's always fun. Now, a quick word from one of our friends. Hello, my name is Nick. And I'm Mika. And we are the Sound of History Podcast. Each week, I try to teach Mika music history by telling her the story of a musical style or artist. Join us every Thursday as I learn the whole story of American popular music. And now, back to the show. So we're going to flip the record over, track eight, Mausoleum. And uh, I love the guitar part at the opening of this song. And this is a song, as I was listening uh again just when i was kind of taking the album in as a whole before i looked at the lyrics before i did anything this is one i kept coming back to and this is one that mm -hmm. i kept uh like I, I i don't know if you do the same thing but like when you're listening uh to something especially if you're listening to it on streaming or whatever and it's just like on headphones and you're doing other things and then a song catches your attention so you make sure to look at it to remember which one yeah. it was and then yeah. you find and then you know a couple of days later you're, you're listening to the same album and you do the same thing and you're like, and you look and you're like, yep, same song. Cause you don't always, not always going to happen that way. And this kept happening to me with this song, but when it came time to sit down and write notes about it, I don't really have very many notes. Uh, mm -hmm. so I don't know, like, it's like, this is a song that caught me, but I don't know really what more to say about it. And I know this is another one that you've mentioned a couple of times. So I'm going to let you take the lead on this one. Yeah. Uh, well, this is definitely one of my favorite songs on the album. And uh, this is one of the two tracks on the album that 
or inspired by visits of the band to the former concentration camps at Dachau and Belsen. <laughs> it's funny that uh, the other song, which we'll get to a little bit, um, there, James Bradfield said to um, Richie about the lyrics <laughs> that he like forced him to do a rewrite on the other one, and his comment was, you can't be ambivalent about the Holocaust. <laughs> which, <laughs> which is, you know, well, that's true enough. Uh, I find the, the words on this, like this song just rocks which is why i keep going back to it i prefer the the, you know unpopular opinion here as as far as like the purists who love this record most of the people who will tell you it's one of their favorite or their favorite album of all time most of those people do not like the u.s mix i like the u.s mix i like that the the drums are really loud uh, you know, the, the guitars really pummel you in that mix. There's a lot of bottom end. You just like the heavy bass with it. Um, whereas the other, the other mix, you know, it's the first one I heard, like everybody else. Um, I actually stayed away from the U.S. mix because I was listening to other people like, ah, don't even bother with that. It's garbage. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> but like once I listened to it, I was like, what? the fuck are you talking about? Like, this this is awesome. Like, especially, like, when you listen... I, one of my friends who I've turned on to the Mannix and, and this record, you know, we, I was hanging out with him one night, and, you know, I, I was the DD, because I, I don't get all sloshed anymore, and taking him home, and he's like, yeah, let's listen to the Holy Bible, this is the Holy Bible. And I just, I put on the UK mix, and I was like, ah, I, I want to put the US one on. And I, and I, so I put the other one and it's like, oh, this is way better. Yeah, that other one is like, it just doesn't have, it's just not as in your face. It's just not as as uh, as visceral. It just doesn't have that like punch to it. And with this particular song, it's like, uh, that's that's one like, I don't know if you have that thing where you just, uh, I have a Facebook friend who he's actually been documenting what I, here's here's the song that was uh, rolling through my head that morning. He'll post a YouTube clip to whatever was going on in his head that morning, and it always seems to be different. A lot of times, I have I, I would I couldn't do that because I would just, it would just be repeating. It'd be like, is this guy a retard or something? Because he just keeps going back to the same <laughs> three songs reverberating in his head, and and half the time it's the Stallion Part Three by Ween, you know, and it's just little <laughs> dumb loops. It's not even like the full song. But there was definitely a point in time where I would wake up and that the whole uh, part of this song where he's screaming, "No birds, the sky is swollen black." Uh, that part would be running through my head, and and that was definitely the era where it's like I I would be like yeah I, I've just got to listen to the song, um, and I think that was um, that those lyrics in particular are a reference to where they had the ovens in Dachau. The land is scorched there, and no birds will ever fly over that area because of the the death that looms in that area. Like, just the, the stench of death, the scorched earth, and all that, like, birds avoid it. And hmm. I, I, find, I find that kind of chilling. <laughs> yeah. All right, then. So, track nine, Faster. What do you think about this one? One thing that I will say offhand that is uh, interesting to note is this is the band's favorite song that they've ever done. 
Uh, really? Like this, this is what they they think is the best song that they've ever done. They love this song. I don't know if maybe that also ties into that particular performance that I brought up earlier, which I believe is on Top of the Pops, but you can find it on YouTube. There's a clip of them, and I believe it's Top of the Pops, where they perform this song, and they're all in balaclava masks. And it was it was quite a controversial thing at the time. So maybe it was just uh, that they have a memory of like that being very brazen and ballsy and doing that terrorist attacks and like that's how they would dress and maybe that's why they considered it controversial. The song rocks. I like it. It's uh, I. It's not my favorite Manic song <laughs> like of all time. It's not even my favorite song on the album, but uh, I do like it. I am kind of curious as to why it's it's their favorite you know because i've i've never even though they've said that i've never seen anything of them going into depth as far as like why it's their favorite i wouldn't have guessed that like if you were to tell me that one of these songs is their favorite i don't think i would have gone with faster Uh, and it's funny (laughs) because this reminds me a bit of supergrass uh, something about just the, the rhythms to it. And I know it could be, you know, maybe super you know, I, like that. I, I don't really know, but uh, uh, from what, because I only know maybe two, three of their records, but just something about this one just hit me like, yeah, that just in that kind of vein. And I like Supergrass, so it was uh, clearly I mean, in, a, in a nice way, but uh, uh, yeah, so the only one that really reminded me specifically of another band is their favorite song, I think is a little bit, I don't know, funny or something. So, <laughs> like I said, it's a, I think it's a it's a good tune, but not one that I find to be comp- that 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 remarkable. Yeah, uh, I definitely I can I think I can see that. I've never personally thought of Supergrass while hearing this, but I definitely can see why you make that comparison. I you know especially uh, with the I Should Coco era of the band that that definitely seems to be kind of in line with that. You know, before, especially before they got more, you know, like uh, more beatly, where it's you know kind of faster, punkier type songs. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but just something about the bounce to it. Just it was like, yeah. Yeah, you know, not not overly so, but just uh, like yeah, because it was one of those. Who does this remind me of? Who does this remind me of? It's like ah, yeah, and that was about it. I think it's a song that uh, uh, when I do kind of pour over the lyrics. I like it more when I'm reading the lyrics along with it. I was like, oh, that's that's what this song is saying. Huh. Huh. <laughs> 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 but, but it, again, it's it doesn't, uh, other than that, it doesn't particularly leave stronger impressions. It's, you know, I there's no, there's no track on this album that I dislike. There, uh, we are going to be coming to one that I, I, find a little too intense to listen to sometimes. Um, but there's no track on here I dislike, and there's no song that I would dismiss as filler on this record, and especially like in conjunction with reading the lyrics to these songs, because this is one of those instances where I, I truly feel like it's a record of a band having something to say. Whether or not you like what it's saying is is a different story and you know and i think it's also exists for you to not necessarily like what it's having to say it's just one of those things where it's pointing out to you that these things are out there in the world whether you want to be aware of it or not that notion that makes me think of uh ridley scott's movie the counselor 
um, which a lot of people hate, uh, I think is a masterpiece. Uh, and it's a really dark movie. And uh, one thing that has been a criticism that people lob against that film is that they're like, eh, it's just, it's, it's so dark and it's so bleak and cynical and none of that stuff would really be happening in the world. And it's like, yeah, actually all of that stuff is happening in the world. It's just not happening in your gated community. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the, the cartel is really gnarly and they do really do things like the people in that movie. <laughs> you're just not aware of it or you're, or you don't want to be aware of it. And you're, you're better off thinking that things like that aren't happening in the world, that the world really isn't that dark. And I, and I think that this album ha is a similar thing to that, where Richie Edwards was, I think, 25 when he wrote all of these lyrics. And it's like, I wasn't thinking about shit like this when I was 25. I wasn't, I didn't have uh, these, you know, I, I, of course, like every other 25 year old, you know, like I, I thought I knew everything and, you know, and I, I thought that all of my opinions were awesome and I was cool and I was really on top of shit, but like, but if I, with a hindsight of thinking like who I was at 25 and thinking of like this 25 year old's lyrics, like light years away from where I was at. <laughs> yeah. But I think he was also pretty troubled in, in a lot of ways. So I think that it, it also comes back to that and, you know, just working as a, as a lyricist or something, but uh, yeah, yeah. 25. I mean, even. Even at low times, I don't know if I would have, you know, if I was approaching things the way he was, he was thinking about things, obviously. I don't necessarily buy into that he was a troubled person. Like, I don't think he was, you know, if you've ever known somebody who was like, somebody who came, came up from like a hard background and like, you know, was, was bounced around like from foster home to foster home or that kind of thing. I don't think from that kind of background, I think it's, if anything, it's more like bad wisdom, like somebody who does, who knows too much too soon kind of thing. And, mm. and that takes, that can take its toll too. Um, you know, the guys in this group were all, all people who, you know, avid readers. I at, at 25 was not looking into the, not even like politics in terms of government, but just the politics of how the world works and how the different factions of it, these darker aspects of human nature. Like I wasn't thinking about those things at all. <laughs> and I'm not sure I would have been able to handle it if I, if I had, cause I, I felt crazy enough as it was, uh, in, during that time of my life, I, I already felt crazy enough just dealing with being human so yeah. i could imagine if you had this kind of this kind of knowing this kind of wisdom then you know i could i could imagine that taking a toll yeah for sure so track 10 this is yesterday and this is the the, the mellowest track so far i think or by you know on the, on the entire album i don't think it gets any slower yep. than this one uh it's yep. not plotting sometimes when you get the, the slowest one i always feel like it just doesn't go anywhere and if it's just got that kind of draggy beat that it so it's not doing that uh but this is one that just this is probably the only one that does really nothing for me hmm. now this is one that could maybe grow on me later because again I, it's I, it's not a dislike it's just more there there's nothing for me to hold on to with this one uh what do you think I think it serves as <laughs> almost like a, it's like the one, it's not even a, I wouldn't say a bright spot, but it's enough of a downtime 
and a breather, especially, you know, the song that it comes after faster and the next two songs that come after at least there, there are three more, but I, it's, it's actually just kind of more of a, a wistful, uh, thinking back on when you're younger and it's just almost like a sweet reminiscence kind of thing. So it's just, so it is a mellow like downtime and, mm-hmm. um, and I, do, and you know, I, I don't see this as being a song where you're talking to somebody who listens to this record. I don't imagine anybody's going to be like, that's absolutely my favorite song on the record. <laughs> no, but, uh, but I don't think it's a bad song either. I, uh, if I'm listening to the album then it's like, it's a welcome reprieve from the heaviness of the rest of the record. Yeah, I can definitely see that as like a placeholder, for lack of a better word. So, you know, I don't mean filler. You said you don't think anything yeah. here is filler, but uh, it serves a purpose uh, beyond than just, you know, getting people to, to buy the record or whatever. Yeah. All right, then. So uh, track 11, Die in the Summertime. What do you think? Um, oftentimes, this is pretty much my favorite song on the record probably the song that i listened to the most on it um i i just think that this is uh, it's an awesome song it really rocks something about it just just pushes all the buttons for me and i i think it's also the the chorus the refrain i have crawled so far sideways i recognize dim traces of creation um and it you know it's basically an uh, an old man who is looking back on his life that's like not and not necessarily an eventful life um so there's so there's definitely like a sadness to it and and an edginess to it of like of like somebody who has has just lived too long and and not seeing uh life being a series of ups and downs you know but hence the the line i've crawled so far sideways it was like you know life has just been one lateral move for me and i i think about i think about this song a lot like not not because i'm relating to the song and and i feel like i'm that character in the song it's just this is the one that gets stuck in my craw quite a bit and uh again the u.s mix on it like i like the i like the heavier nature to it yeah i guess that's probably the most i have to say about it i love the harder edged kind of alternative sound to this one uh -hmm. this is one i could see on you know mid 1990s radio uh in that just and I mean this in, in the absolute best way possible because it's got yeah. that you know when you when when there was some exciting stuff going on on radio and you could I you know I could see this one hear this one fitting in with a lot of the things that were going on at the time or maybe even just a, a year or two earlier, um, and, and I just I really like this one. This is maybe my favorite song on the album as well. So um, and it's one that I didn't really dig too far into the to the lyrics. Um, because uh, I, this is just one I enjoyed. This is like, ah, I, this felt like, like the this should have been like the the second single or something, you know, and that really broke yeah. it big, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Where, because uh, it, it just had that that feel to it, that groove to it, and uh, you know, we've touched a couple of times on uh, the kind of the grunge ishness to some of these tracks, and it doesn't quite do that. So this would be more 
um, just in that like harder alternative as opposed to grunge. But uh, yeah, yeah really, I, really I think that this song is uh, probably the most Nirvana esque of any of the songs on here. I, even if whether one would agree that it sounds like them or not, which I I'm not saying it does at all, but this strikes me as like, oh, that band listens to Nirvana. <laughs> and, you know, and definitely like with the, what I know about the band later with them, them hiring Albini to do Journal for Plague Lovers because Richie loved In Utero so much. And that makes complete sense to me because this mm-hmm. is, you know, this is right after In Utero um, that when they recorded this album. And it probably would have been uh, a bigger thing it probably would have broken even if it had gotten released in the u.s it might have made things different for them because uh this album didn't come out in the u.s until 10 years after uh, oh really oh okay yeah <laughs> yeah uh, what happened is that james and richie were slated to get on a plane and come over and finalize the approval of the U S mix and, and then do a promotional tour for the album for the release. And Richie's disappearance was the day before. So that completely scrapped, uh, the release of this record in the U S uh, and it didn't come out until the deluxe two disc edition came out 10 years after and that was when the U.S. mix came out because it, it, you know, just kind of sat. Uh, I don't, I don't know if there were promotional ones that had got sent out to radio stations. I don't recall if that happened or not, but that is what happened in terms of this album, and it, it just kind of put every ground everything to a halt for this band. Uh, they didn't tour behind this album either, and they they weren't really sure what they were going to do uh afterwards and i think it was that uh finally after a certain time nikki wrote the song a design for life and they had a couple of other songs that they that they had lyrics um from richie for that were became part of the next album that was their that was actually like a, kind of their big breakthrough because i think a lot of their fans were at the time happy that they had moved past it and had inspiration to, to keep going. And of course that, you know, there's always going to be haters and, and trolls cause you know, we've got to have opinions, all the colors of the rainbow. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize, uh, I, I hadn't known that that is what happened as far as that goes. Okay. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's too bad. That's interesting though. Moving on to track 12, The Intense Humming of Evil, uh, which is a great title. That's a great title there. Uh, And this is one where uh, the intro to this one is just way too long for me. Uh, And I agree with that. You know, and I haven't really mentioned it because even though almost every track has has had something going on beforehand, uh, I didn't want to complain about it the entire time because I wanted to save it for this one because <laughs> uh, it just it's every at least you know with the other ones everything was was really pretty short and then this one it's like oh come on already because uh, it's a good tune but I just I just kept getting stuck on that that beginning uh, what do you think about this one 
Uh, this is the one that is hard for me to listen to. Like, if I'm listening to the entirety of the album, I I do let the whole album play. I don't skip it. Um, but this this is the one that's like it's such a dark track that it's it's hard for me to take sometimes. And sometimes I will actually skip it because I'm like, yeah, I can't take this one today. <laughs> <laughs> and and part of it is because that that beginning is. Uh, is is so long and it's and it's so visceral so you know if somebody is really more into like dark things and industrial sounds and stuff like that you know i i could see the appeal of it but yeah i definitely have to be in a mood that i can take this one in for sure this is the uh, other track that they did that was inspired by the them visiting Dachau and uh, this this is the track that uh, James Dean Bradfield said you can't be ambivalent about the Holocaust <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to Richie about the lyrics that he like made him rewrite the lyrics to. I don't know that I have a whole lot else to add to it. Um, I think this is the darkest track they've ever done in uh, just sound wise and subject wise. It's it's a difficult track for me to take some days. For sure. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So let's go ahead and finish up the record here with uh, PCP. And uh, give me your thoughts on this one, Steve. Well, it's uh, a upbeat rocker to to close it all out. Um, PCP, not talking about the drug, but actually um, (laughs) talking about uh, people with political correctness, the political correctness police. So that's uh, that's a notion that I a little bit of a forward thinking thing in you know ninety four ninety five uh, definitely something that's like much more prescient for our present day where I don't want to say anything like super controversial and, and get into you know the the notions of of that but I I do think that in the in the sense of us all becoming better and more compassionate human beings that sometimes that is taken a little bit overboard. And I think that maybe he's like, it's almost like he saw into the future with some of the stuff uh, in in lyrics for this album and, and what was part of his journal that became journal for plague lovers. It feels like there was uh, somebody seeing more into the future than what was going on at the time. It's a it's a good strong finish, just a you know good rocker that uh, closes out everything nicely. I would agree. I think this is a, a great closing track. And normally, as I mentioned a bunch of times on the show, I'm I'm kind of a sucker for the 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 slow closer. Uh, <laughs> but this this is definitely another way to go. Just just bang your way out of it. And uh, and this is another one. Like the chorus of this one gets stuck in my head. Just that PCP, you know, just it like that'll just float into my brain out of nowhere. Uh, and it's got almost like a pop punk rhythm. Uh, and then yeah. it goes along with that, you know, shout along chorus. So this is somewhere like you'd mentioned before, like a TSOL or just one of those kind of those those uh, punk bands that kind of went metal at the, in the in the 80s. Uh, but yeah. it's just sort of that, you know, you could just see somebody like with their chest out and their and their fist in the air and uh, and, and going for it. So not like, uh, you know, it's almost like in more like in a bad religion kind of a, a vein as opposed to, let's say, Green Day or something. But it's just got that great, yeah. rhythm, you know, rhythm. And it's uh, and, and again, the, the shadow on chorus I really like. And uh, I think really 
ties a bow on this on this record in a pretty nice way. So it doesn't. I think this one would have been a mistake to go out on a slow song on this album because it may just <laughs> make it a little too bleak, you know. Uh, yeah, like so, end the album on the last track, the in, the intense. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, that would have been a bit much. So uh, I think this is one that's like, even though it's not exactly the, the cheeriest song or anything, but it has that, it, it hides it well in, in the, in the rhythms and in the guitar. And I like it. So it's a, it's a good tune. Yeah. So what are your uh, final thoughts here, Steve? I know we kind of pepper final thoughts throughout it. You've had a lot to say about this record. It's obviously one that means a lot to you, but uh, this is your, your, your last chance here. What do you got for me? Uh, I hope that this is a record that uh, people who have an interest in harder or heavier music from the 90s might seek this one out because uh, while it is a, a pretty well-revered in the UK and, and a lot of people uh, like the album, it's not as well-known, especially over here in the States where I live. And uh, I do think that it's something worth checking out. It's not necessarily going to be a record that everyone falls in love with, but I think that people can see the value of, uh, it is, it's a really dark, bleak look at humanity. And, you know, and I, I find it to be darker lyrically than things like Alice in Chains or even like something like Slayer, which, you know, yes, Slayer lyrics are dark, but it's almost there slayers almost cartoony to me it's like almost that like cartoony evil and i don't yeah. mean like that that they're you know they're they don't rock and they're not heavy and all that but it's almost like i could see skeletor singing most of those songs you know <laughs> <laughs> and i i think the thing about these particular songs is like is there is an an innate humanity inside of those lyrics that makes it makes it relatable regardless of how dark this is going how much of a light it's casting on those aspects of human nature that usually lives in the shadows and um like i said i normally i don't listen to heavy and dark stuff a whole lot in my life anymore um but with this record, when I put it on, it's almost more of a life-affirming record for me. So it's it it produces like an opposite effect in me. It uh, a, a, it puts me in a strange, strangely positive spiritual outlook. It's almost like uh, I get to maybe just uh, vomit out all of the all of the darkness by taking this record in, and then I, it just allows me to just kind of be and just sort of enjoy the day or just enjoy where I'm at in life afterwards. Like it's, it's, uh, it's almost like a cleansing experience, which I know seems weird to anyone who's probably listened to this record, but there it is. That's, that's the effect that this record seems to have on me. No, I can definitely see that. And I, I think, uh, I could see what you're saying with Slayer and maybe a little bit uh, less with Alice in Chains, especially like with dirt, uh, because that just, that really felt, that album felt very visceral uh, in a way that I think is similar to this one because that was something he yeah. was really going through a lot of that stuff as opposed to more of the, I don't know, like you said, Skeletor singing is going to make me laugh really hard <laughs> once I'm off the, once we're off mics. But, uh, <laughs> uh, 
yeah, so it's what like I'm I'm glad that you uh, as I mentioned before you got me to to visit this album because it's it, there's a band that just I I've known about for a long time without ever knowing a, a lot you know I've never really done a deep dive on them uh, and uh, this is one I think I'm gonna this is going to kind of push me to start listening to some more of their stuff and whether this is an album that ends up living with me I don't know yet. Uh, but I do plan on listening to it a, a few more times, even once we're done with the show. Now that we're done with the show, and see uh, see if it's one that that sticks around for a little while. So uh, I do appreciate uh, that we finally came to uh, a conclusion for a record to do after all this time, <laughs> and that we got it done. So uh, I, I, well, you know, you uh, you're you're a big influence on on the stuff that I listen to and. And whenever you put something out on Facebook and mention, I always try to listen to things that you're listening to. And even if I don't always uh, like it, I always know that it's coming from a real place. So I do check it out. So uh, thank you very much, Steve, for joining me today. I uh, really appreciate you having on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. And for everybody else out there, uh, depending on where you have found this podcast, if you would like to hear uh, more from me, you can go to www.lovethisrecord.com. I do a different podcast called Album Side, where I listen to a side of vinyl when I drink a beer. And that is only available on the website. So maybe you want to check that out. If you have the opportunity, please like, share, comment, whatever it is you're supposed to do to help other people find the show. I'd appreciate it. I've been Derek. This is Steve with me as we head out of here for uh, the Manic Street Preachers. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you for listening to I Fucking Love This Record. If you would like to co-host an episode, contact me at lovethisrecord at gmail.com. This and every episode can be found on my website, lovethisrecord.com. If you would like to follow us on Facebook, it's Love This Record. Twitter and Instagram, Love This Record 1. Music provided by The Ashes of Grissom. And thanks as always to original patron, Mark Evers. Please remember to subscribe, like, and review, and we'll see you next time. Sky.